the nachos. No rain, nor wind, nor snow classico. Putting the high line with Rabbi and Red. Talking the rabbits and turning heads. With questions from you and analysis. In your car, in your home. Thank you for tuning to Holding the High Line. Hello. Rapids fans, this is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. We are sponsored by Icarus FC and Roughneck Scarves. My name is Matt Pollard, and it is Tuesday, March 22nd, 2022. Barcelona has announced their resurrection with authority with a 4-0 El Clasico win at the Bernabeu. The CCL final this year will for sure be MLS versus Liga MX, and the USMNT kicks off their final window of CONCACAF World Cup qualification on Thursday at the Azteca. I don't know what Greg Berhalter has planned, but he for sure won't have Will Yarbrough taking goal kicks. I'm joined now by a man who believes that we will win, Rabbi Mark Goodman. Do I believe that we will win? I believe that we will draw in the Azteca? Maybe, and that we will hopefully get at least five points and that will be enough. Sometimes it's possible that we'll only get four, which will make my sphincter tighten in ways that uh, are not natural or healthy for a grown man to do on a regular basis. How you doing, Matt? I'm good, Mark. Uh, overall, I guess uh, maybe I should have uh, rewritten my intro is um, I'm joined now by Rabbi Mark Goodman, who believes we will probably qualify. Um, but I I hear you. I'm getting so many texts this week from my friends who are soccer curious or who only care about the U.S. men's national team or who only care about, you know, only care about it, you know, the game once every four years. Um, or they would say back to back years if we're talking men's World Cup and then the following summer women's world cup kind of asking like hey they wanted to you know have fun and enjoy the world cup obviously in the fall and the winter with Qatar and hey Matt are we actually going to make it what are the qualification scenarios and everything like should I be worried in ways that clearly we were not prepared for the inevitable failure in 2017 and my answer is probably not but I completely understand the PTSD that people are going through and I understand that we won't actually be clear and okay with this until the US actually qualifies and in that ultimately the judgment we have about Greg Berhalter's tenure at head coach of the United States men's national team will start and potentially end with whether or not he qualifies or he does. It should be pointed out, folks, uh, the United States will be taking place uh, this Thursday. They'll be at the Azteca on Sunday afternoon, early evening, conflicting with the Rapids 2 home opener, partially. They'll be hosting Panama. That will be at the at Orlando City Stadium in Orlando, Florida. And then they will be at Costa Rica, where they have never won in a competitive match uh, to finish out the octagonal, which is a little bit scary, Mark. Uh, I did some fun math the other night on Last Word SC Radio with our good friends Daniel Sperry and Rachel Krigger. Um, and we found out, so Mark, here's just the scenario for the U.S. to finish for. So just for them to get into the intercontinental playoff and have to do the home and home with 
uh, New Zealand. Here's what would have to happen. The United States has to win one of their three games. I suppose three draws would also be would also suffice. And then one of Panama or Costa Rica cannot win out. So Panama could win all three of their games and then Costa Rica could get win win draw and then the U.S. would be fine. And then for the U.S. to just finish third, all they need is a win. And then Panama and Costa Rica to neither went out. The simplest path forward for this mark, given that Canada still has not officially qualified. They need one point regardless of whatever else happens and they qualify. Or I'm sure nobody's going to all the teams that would need to pass them aren't all going to get um, nine points in this window such that Canada would finish in the fourth spot. But so Canada needs one point. They get a draw against Costa Rica. They're fine. And the U.S. beats Panama. And in doing so, the U.S. would pick up the three points that they need. And Panama, for sure, wouldn't be able to win out the rest of the group. That's the easiest pass forward, folks. Mark Anthony K helps Canada get a result at Costa Rica. Costa Rica can't win out. United States gets three points against Panama. Panama cannot win out. The United States at that point mathematically can finish no worse than third. Margaret, you kind of already covered it, but how should USMNT fans be feeling about this? What emotions are we going through? Tempered expectations or like, should, should I be watching this game from my toilet seat on Thursday? Yeah, um, the the Mexico game is, I mean, so Matt Doyle had a really interesting proposition on Twitter where he kind of said uh, Greg Berhalter should rest his most important players on Mexico and play for a draw and then really go into Panama and Costa Rica looking to get a win. Um, and that was really controversial. Like a lot of people were like, no, 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 it should be the way around. You should win in Mexico and then you kind of should coast at these other two teams because you you probably have the horses, even if even if the U.S. men's players are all tired for that next game, like four days later, they'll be fine. The number of controversies, Matt, like nothing, nothing is convincing for me about this USMNT team. And I think that this has to do entirely with the fact that like Canada was the best team in CONCACAF this cycle in qualifying and the u.s wasn't as good as them regularly it also is that like there weren't any players who were like consistent um ricardo pepe kind of like burst on the scene and was spectacular and then in the last uh window he was kind of meh um our fullbacks have been kind of all over the place like i think sergino dest has had like a good game and a bunch of mediocre games um, but on the flip side, Anthony Robinson, Anthony Robinson, Jedi Robinson has looked pretty good, um, but only recently, right? And then there's other questions like, who are the veteran leaders in this squad? You've got DeAndre Edlin and Walker Zimmerman and Zach Steffen and Christian Pulisic, but like, that's not a lot of guys. And Kellen Acosta, but he's not. Um, I mean, I you know, from my experience talking to Kellen Acosta, I feel like. He's a good presence, but he's not like a stabilizing presence. And then there's just so many guys on this roster who've had like good game, bad game, good game, bad game, big, mo big moment, big disappointment, big moment, big disappointment. Like um, I'm thrilled that Christian Roldan is here. Christian Pulisic has been really, really off for a while. Gino Reyna hasn't been healthy. Tim Weah has been kind of like meh. Jordan Morris is coming off of injury. Um, you know, Brendan Aronson hasn't really proved himself in this cycle. Like Gianluca Busio doesn't seem to know how to defend or even do transition at all. And then there's the goalkeeper question, Matt. 
I like Ethan Horvath, and I think he's probably the most solid, But and I really love Sean Johnson, but then they brought Zach Steffen in here, and how do you sit the guy down? How do you make the guy who plays for Manchester City be your third-string goalkeeper? You don't. I assume Zach Steffen is going to be starting one of these games, and I don't really feel comfortable with him starting one of these games, right? Like, there's a lot of guys on this roster that I'm really not thrilled with, or, like, I'm not really convinced by. Um, And I feel like going to Costa Rica, like, I don't know, man. I'm really, really questioning it. So I would have liked a few more stabilizing senior experience presences on this roster. Um, But, you know, it's just, it's a basket full of conundrums, and I really don't feel confident. Um, I will probably just bite my nails through the Mexico game and then really bite my nails through the Panama game. Yeah, so I, I guess a few points that I'll kind of push back on, Mark. If you've seen what uh, Christian Pulisic has done in Champions League with Chelsea and then obviously what he did in the match at Middlesbrough in the FA Cup over the weekend, I would say that he is – I would say this is the best form – Pulisic is coming into with the national team since the Nations League last summer in Denver, where he was coming off of, you know, coming off the bench in a Champions League victory over Manchester City. So I think he's good. Uh, To your point, I have questions about what version of Gio Reyna the U.S. is going to get, or is he going to be fully healthy? You know, is do you even, given the injuries that we've had between obviously Sergio Dest is out, we now know that Brendan Aronson is out for this qualification as well. Do you even play him against Mexico and have Hector Herrera injure him for... Uh, the Panama game. I think there's some really valid questions about how Burhalter handles the Mexico game ultimately as the setup for the Panama game. The Panama game is the most important game in this window. It's the one where if they win it, it simplifies everything. As I mentioned previously, they cannot get eliminated from World Cup qualification if they just beat Panama, regardless of anything else that happens. And then in theory, they have their destiny in their own hand because they're in second in the octagonal, the second, third, and fourth place team in that order are Mexico, Panama, and Costa Rica. The United States is playing in this order, Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica. So, but, you know, it's it's big questions. And thankfully, Mark, you and I are podcasters who don't get paid a lot of money for podcasting, but we also don't <laughs> have to come up with big answers for this. You know, it, it's super easy for us to say, it's it's e- it could be easy for Burhalter to say, oh, you know, because the, you know, if, if Panama win, if the U.S. beats Panama and there's a significant roster turnover between the two games, then, uh, you know, um, Matt Doyle can say, yeah, see, I was right. Rest the guys against Mexico, get the result against Panama and everything. And then, um, you know, if it ends up going the other way around or something, then, you know, Doyle can just say, oh, I'm just some guy in an armchair watching soccer and everything. But I have trepidations, Mark. Uh, should be pointed out, we are relatively rapid-less in terms of this USMNT squad. I guess Kellen Acosta, former Rapids player, is in the uh, is in with the midfield group. Your point was kind of good, Mark, where I think he can be a veteran leader, but it's kind of hard to be the alpha or like the vocal leader of the group when you're not even the for sure starter at your position. I think in the absence of having a real vocal, emotional leader, a guy who's been there before, the obvious one that you're missing here would be John Brooks. He and DeAndre Yedlin are the only two regulars from the national team in the last year who have played in an actual World Cup because they were both there in Brazil in 2014. And there's a lot of hoopla going around. And he said some pretty incendiary quotes. And I'm kind of wondering, is John Brooks becoming the 
either some combination of the Jeff Cameron, Benny Fellhaber, Landon Donovan persona in terms of being on the outs. Um, well, it w- Jeff Cameron it would have been on the outs with uh, Bruce Arena, and then the other two, Fellhaber, and then obviously uh, infamously Landon Donovan from the 2014 World Cup squad. I just don't think he rates. I just don't think he's that good. I mean, if Miles Robinson was really good at center back, and then you've got some other decent... I mean, Walker Zimmerman has been really solid there too. Like, you're telling you're telling me, Mark, that the that a starter for Wolfsburg who's been better the last two months than he has been the rest of the season is worse than Eric Palmer Brown, who has two caps for the national team. That's a that is probably the one that is 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 like questionable. But I just I haven't seen Eric Palmer Brown. I mean. When the name came up, I was like, oh, yeah, he was a guy. But my assumption was just that, like, Brooks hasn't been spectacular at least recently. And maybe looking at the tape, Eric Palmer Brown has. I have no int- intelligent advice to give. I mean, I think the thing is, when you watch USMNT Twitter, you know, freak out about anything, they typically freak out about one thing and one thing only. And that's that there's too many MLS guys on this roster and not enough Europe guys. So when you got a Europe guy that gets excluded, like as a MLS guy, and I don't know how, if you come down on my side on this and that's fine. Um, but like, I'm never compelled by the knee jerk reaction by USMNT Twitter that, um, everybody in Europe is better than everybody in MLS. I think it's a lazy, um, uneducated, uh, simplistic take that you know and and it's, it goes to my point about Zach Steffen I'm really nervous I don't think Zach Steffen is as good a goalkeeper as Sean Johnson I don't think he's as good at distribution or at um organizing the defense or at shot stopping I think Sean Johnson had a phenomenal MLS cup um he's in absolutely prime form um and he has a lot more experience than Stefan who just doesn't play much i mean who spends most of his time on the bench but like to to that point like that's a play that's a position i can speak intelligently about i can't speak intelligently about eric palmer brown i'm just assuming and this is me being a schmuck to be <laughs> to be honest i put faith in the head coach of the usmnt now um you can say that's well warranted with Greg Berhalter because he's been pretty good. But to be honest, Matt, I had faith in um, Bruce Arena uh, last cycle. I was sure that Bruce Arena was going to solve this problem and going to get them qualified. And boy, was I wrong. Um, the only exception to that, of course, is that I did not really like um, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann. I, I, I was surprised that he lasted as long as he did. He looked bad. He made bad choices. He uh, he defended himself in front of the media by basically saying, how dare you question me? I know exactly what I'm doing. And then he proceeded to go out for three straight more games and prove that he did not, in fact, know what he was doing. So there are times when I think I know better. And then there are times when I am totally wrong. Um, I believe in I don't believe in the USMNT or I don't I don't believe necessarily that we will win. But I do really believe that Greg Berhalter knows more than we give him credit for. I'm increasingly, Mark, of the belief that I don't think a Rapids player will be on the World Cup squad for the United States, um, or at least certainly a, I guess if it's a former Rapids player, the only real one that you have in in contention is Kellen Acosta. I think the fact that Sam Vines wasn't in this group, given the options that they're going to need at fullback, I think especially given that Sergino Dest has been replaced replaced by George Bello, I have some concerns. I think for Vines and certainly Colbert, Bassett, 
Uh, the cycle for them is going to be next year or next World Cup cycle for 2026. Obviously, I'd say the same thing about Austin Trusty. We've said that in the past as well. I think the best hope we have to have a Burgundy boy in uh, Qatar in the World Cup would be Mark Anthony K with Canada. So let's get to it, Mark. Uh, Canada virtually guaranteed to be in. I have to check. I'm pretty sure they can finish no worse than fourth. So they can't even officially get eliminated from World Cup qualification. Or if they would, it would have to be on the mathematically. Or wait, no, because of the matchups and everything, they can't. Um, Costa Rica can catch them on points, but then they have to beat them on goal differential. But then for them to win, they'd have to beat the United States. So Canada is for sure not not going to the World Cup. They just need the one draw um, to uh, officially qualify for one of the top three spots. No team, Mark, in the history of the hexagonal has ever gone undefeated in the hex. So then you add in more games because there's eight teams instead of six would be even more impressive for Canada to not lose as well. Simply getting one point. Uh, Mark, uh, do we think, uh, one, I think Canada obviously goes to win until they haven't qualified. Do we think it'd be a big deal for Canada to go undefeated? Is that something they should strive for? And how much of this is John Herdman just being a player's coach and getting Mark Anthony K revved up in the way that I'm not sure even Robin Frazier or Bob Bradley could get out of him? I don't know, man. They're they're such a good team. They're very, very deep at, at multiple positions. They've gotten really good results out of guys that you wouldn't necessarily have otherwise expected much from. You know, Sam Atakubi, who used to be with Vancouver Whitecaps, has been really good for them. Um, he's playing in Turkey now. Um, Richie Larrier is playing for Nottingham Forest. He, he wasn't very notable for Orlando City and then he's been very solid for them um they're just they're they've gotten a lot out of and then of course like you know their striker core is just ridiculously good Jonathan David has been very good Kyle Laren has been very good um you know just it's a it's a fun team it's really talented it's surprisingly deep um it's got a lot of nice uh, uh balance it's got some guys peaking at the right time like Tejon Buchanan who's playing for Bruges um, you know, like they're fun to watch. They're really, they're, they're kind of like what I was expressing about the USMNT. They're kind of like what I was saying about the USMNT players who I like, except that they're more dependable, you know, like those guys show up regularly, like their stars show up every game. Like you can like pet, write it in Sharpie that Jonathan Osorio is going to be a really, really solid player for them. Um, and Mark Anthony K, you really know what you're going to get out of him from game to game. He's really, really consistent. And I don't think, you know, I think Kellen Acosta is also really consist- consistent, and Tyler Adams is really consistent. But other than that, there's really nobody else on the USMNT roster who you can say is really consistent. I'm hiccuping. Not smart enough to drink tea before we record. I'm drinking a... Um, New Trail Brewing, Broken Heels, Hazy IPA. Once again, not one of our sponsors. But when I go up to Erie, um, there's a much better selection of beers up in Erie. And so when I go to Erie to be the rabbi, I'm very excited to hit one of the local supermarkets where I can get this really wonderful selection of Pennsylvania beers. Um, that had nothing to do with the Canadian national team. I just, But it wasn't... I do drive in the direction of Canada. In fact... Erie is basically the last 
major city before Buffalo, which is the last major city before Toronto. So, um, Matt, I have been to Canada more recently than you have, I believe. I was in Canada right before the pandemic. We took the kids up to Niagara Falls. Um, so, and, and Iggy came back with a Sebastian Giovinco kit, um, which is ridiculous. I left my wife alone with my son for an afternoon and he comes back and he's wearing a Toronto FC jersey. And I'm like, what the hell happened here, damn it? <laughs> By the way, the same thing happened when we went to Mexico. We went to Mexico. I got Iggy a kit and Noah also wandered off with Iggy and came back with a Mexico kit. Like a straight up Mexico, and by the way, a knockoff, like not not the, or at least a a replica, and not the really. And I was like, "You cannot have bought our son this jersey. This is not okay." Like my kid is repping everyone but the U.S. He does have a USMNT kit. That's to be fair. My daughter doesn't have one of any of the teams in Concacaf. The only international kits she's ever owned were South Korea and Peru. Um, we're a strange family. Clearly, we have issues. Or we travel a lot, which is also a good thing. Uh, God forbid, Mark, uh, the kids be left alone without you in Israel, and then they come back with an Ashdod kit, I suppose. Um, but No, it's fine. We, we they, we've never owned an Israeli national team kit, but to be honest, it's one of the lamest national team kits in the world. They only come in two colors, blue or white. It's just like a solid white and a solid blue. It's like, guys... Come on, you've been a country now for 75 years. Come up with an exciting national team kit. Anyways, they're not qualifying, by the way. Israel, not qualifying. Um, Just like Trinidad and Tobago, not qualifying. Former Colorado Rapid, Mikel Williams, did get called up to the team, though. So, And I saw him just last week. Hell of a guy, really nice, really nice dude. Just had a baby in the offseason. I think it's his third kid. So, Mazel Tov on your call up, Mikel. Um, you won't be going to Qatar, though. You'll be here in Pittsburgh eating French fries on your sandwiches. Uh, another player who won't be going to Qatar, Mark, will be Brian Acosta, who did get called up with Honduras. They are mathematically eliminated from World Cup qualification. They have just three points off of three draws. Not very good there. And the worst goal difference in the competition with a negative 17. They are playing Jamaica, I believe, on the final match day. So I suppose there's an opportunity if they pick up another win or, you know, and Jamaica doesn't pick up any results and they beat Jamaica, they could uh, survive not winning the uh, octagonal wooden spoon, which I'm not sure if that's a trophy that Brian Acosta necessarily wants on his roster, but it'll be an opportunity for him to get match fitness, get called up with his national team, which is always a big honor, and continue to build towards his fitness and sharpness that if nothing else, assuming he doesn't come back knackered and injured, will benefit the Colorado Rapids come the first weekend in April in the home leg of the Rocky Mountain Cup. Mark, let's get to some actual Rapids-related soccer news. Rapids 2 uh, played in a friendly against Hailstorm FC, which uh, was very exciting. I was unfortunately not able to make that game. Um, but in any case, uh, Rapids 2 are kicking off, Mark, this coming Sunday. Uh, they'll be playing Sporting Kansas City 2. I guess it should be pointed out the Rapids are to the number. Sporting Kansas City are technically SKCII, the Roman numeral 2. Uh, 
according to the Rapids 2 website, that is TBC, which I'm going to assume means to be confirmed. So we don't yet know the actual location of this home opener. There's been a bunch of rumblings about options that they've had that have been up and down the front range. Options as far as Boulder uh, could have been in consideration. Um, I think there was a rumor out there at one point they were looking at DU's soccer facility, which I've seen, Mark, which is pretty decent for a college soccer environment. Andre Shinoshiki, very familiar with that. And I suppose there's also an option. I'm going to assume DSG doesn't have anything on the schedule for this Sunday. They could be either in the main stadium, possibly, or possibly out on Field 20, or I can't remember the name of the one that has the little grass berm where the U23s would often play. But so uh, Mark Rapids 2 officially starting play at time of recording. They've officially on their website only signed four players. Um, as far as I know, it's four players to senior contracts. Dylan Cerna, who was the first signed players. Um, and there was the uh, um, uh, Yosuke Hanya and then Omar Gomez, who were signed. And then, of course, uh, as we've mentioned in previous podcasts, the uh, Dairy City Academy product, Michael Harris as well. Mark, I assume maybe there's a bunch of trialists. Uh, maybe they just haven't announced all of the 11, up to 11 Academy players that they're going to have. Are we looking for anything in particular in this home opener? Um, and then what do we, what in general are we looking forward to, given how little news and information there has been out of there on Rapids 2 on the website? And it's just come in a couple of friendlies. And as we seen with the rapids you can't take a whole lot from the preseason sometimes yeah i was just trying to find online somebody posted their first um lineup and but it was done on a piece of paper uh on a on a on a uh uh shoot what am i trying to say in a in notebook paper with a pen you know as someone was going i can't find it but um you know basically it was exactly what we thought it was going to be which was the rapids reserves um, Yapi played, um, Cerna played, uh, Sebastian Anderson played, Michael Edwards played, and I think that that's what we're gonna get. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's the reserve team. We shouldn't make too much of it. Um, there's not a lot of. I think the thing that's frustrating for me to figure out. I mean, it's a good opportunity for players to get some run, but I think the frustrating thing for me is that it's hard to tell whether the Rapids are really using this as a developmental step forward and whether this is really going to benefit our players in a way that would have been any better than sending them off to USL teams. Um, the only upside is you kind of control costs. And I think that that's the challenge of a USL two team is that they tend to cost more money um, because the minimum standards and the minimum pay grades in USL are higher. Um, I don't know. I think we've had that conversation before, but um, yeah, I mean, it would be great if, if the Rapids would maybe formalize what's happening a little bit faster. Um, it feels like they're a little bit behind the curve uh, in terms of, like, making announcements. But um, I think they also reasonably know that, like, there's about eight people in the universe who care about this. You know, um, this last this last week, uh, USL's um, uh, Mike Pendleton, if you're not following him on Twitter, is a really good follow. Um, <laughs> I believe he's at Fat Deuce seven or something like that on Twitter. But anyways, um, Mike does, uh, has been for the last couple of years, keeping up on USL attendance and not surprisingly in the real full opening week of USL soccer. Um, the teams that do really well are teams like Louisville city who have always done really well. And the teams that do really poorly in attendance are teams like Atlanta two and Loudon. Loudon is the two team for, um, uh, DC United. 
Um, and I mean, basically, the reserve league is an opportunity to say, why have 480 fans when we could have four uh, 80 fans total? You know, like you know, there's nobody, nobody's going to be there, and it means you have to provide less infrastructure and and put less effort into it. And that being said, it'll still be a fun environment and a great opportunity. You know, this is as close as you're going to get to seeing some of these stars in person. Um, you know, you bring, you bring your Jersey and your Sharpie and, uh, people will sign your kit, um, in a way that you would never get at a Rapids game. The last thing I want to say, and Matt, this, uh, you, you may have missed this news while you were busy working, but I have the day off, but, um, we learned today, uh, Colorado Rapids and C38 also kind of sent out tweets about, former Colorado Rapids unified team member, Jason Horton, who passed away after a long battle with cancer. Um, if you've ever followed the unified team or if you've ever been to a game, Jason was really notable. He was this tall, skinny dude uh, with glasses and he had this big electric smile. And Matt, I don't know if you stuck around after some of the Rapids games to see some of the unified matches, but they were just is absolutely one of the best things the Colorado Rapids do is their commitment to Special Olympics and their commitment to um, folks with special needs um, and creating an environment in which they really elevate um, and make equal those folks in a way that I find really tremendous. You know, the fans stick around for it, the players stick around for it, the coaches and the senior staff stick around for it, um, and they run around, you know, at, at DSGP and play a good quality soccer game with, you know, several professionals from the Rapids team. Um, and Jason was one of the kind of stars. I mean, he was really one of the more memorable folks. If you go on social media, you'll see he's got photos with basically everybody on the team and they all know him on like a first name basis. And it's a really sweet thing. So um, Jason Horton, you will be missed. And uh, we, We'll keep you in our uh, hearts and in our minds and in our memories um, going forward. Uh, you know, kind of this is a Matt, I'm riffing off of the Rapids 2 thing because I think, um, you know, the unified team is kind of a bridge that unifies all all manner of the Colorado Rapids, you know, down to the academy, across to the fans and over to the senior team. So. Uh, well said there, Mark. A few things that I want to add. Um, first of all, for those who wanted to check Mike Pendleton, um, his Twitter handle, Mark, is actually Fat7Deuce. So close. P-H-A-T, the number seven, and then Deuce like Dempsey, D-E-U-C-E for that. And then I did find the tweet, Mark, that has the lineup. This was tweeted out by Brendan Ploen. Listeners, if you're not following Brendan Ploen, he's doing some great stuff at the Never Post and everything. You should check him out at Brendan Ploen, P-L- O-E-N on the last name. Um, so, Mark, uh, he had the Rapids in a 3-4-2-1, or I guess crudely we could call it a 3-4-3. Brandon, your handwriting's a little small, or maybe you could have <laughs> zoomed in a little bit better, but it was uh, a broad in goal. We had a back three from left to right of Mark Hanich, the draft pick who just signed Mike Edwards uh, and Omar Gomez. Um, and then it was Dylan Cerna and Sebastian Anderson out wide with Philip Mayaka and... I think it's I think the initials are AA. I'm not sure who number five is just based on the handwriting. I uh, Tasmir Tymir uh, might be at the left wing role. And then it was Darren Yapi and then or Darren Yapi up top and then Yaya Torre 
on the right wing position. But no, I think your I think your points are valid, Mark. That we're still not entirely sure what Rapids two is based on what that lineup is. It seems like an opportunity for playing time for a lot of the Rapids homegrowns and lower level guys who aren't getting opportunities. Mike Edwards hasn't been in a team sheet yet this season. I think the only reason Markanich has been uh, over the weekend is because of the injury to Abubakar Keda. Sebastian Anderson, not a lot of minutes. Philip Mayaka, not a lot of minutes. Um, Torre, I can't remember, and Yappi. I think Yappi has made his debut. Torre made his debut last year. I, I imagine most of these players, um, I'd say with the exception of Sebastian Anderson, have less than 50 minutes played at the first team level and everything. I should point out, Mark, I've heard from a couple people within the organization that things are getting a little slow um, in terms of any international signings they want to make. As far as I know, Michael Harris is not yet in Colorado. Visas and everything going on, I'm not sure if that's because a backlog of the pandemic. I'm not sure if that's because of international security with what's going on in Ukraine or anything else, but visas are taking more time than they historically have in soccer. We saw that a couple weeks ago with Atlanta having a few players missing due to visa complications, and so it could be a while for some of these other signings. It could also be that something that's delayed or potentially prevented some of these signings from abroad abroad for Rapids 2 is because of visa issues that ultimately they couldn't guarantee that they would go through. It's my understanding Chris Harris will be here. It will be in due time, but uh, he's not, as of at least two weeks ago, he was not there and it could have been a while up to that point. But, you know, I think it, it... should you care about Rapids 2? Yes, this is just like the unified team, just like the U14 team. You should care. But, you know, Mark, the extent to which I think even you or I in the media cares about a Dallas Cup or a Milk Cup is like the three days that that tournament is going on rather than building up to it or having an understanding of every single MLS Academy team's U14 depth chart for example. So you should care about Rapids 2, how much energy you put towards it. I think it's probably up to you. Some of these games, if you're going to care about that, and then the Rapids first team game are going to take up all of your weekend. Obviously, if you are at the home opener, uh, wherever it is that is taking place this Sunday, you will be missing probably the biggest UMS M&T game of the calendar year, uh, barring the start of the world. I'll say biggest game between January and end of October for the United States men's national team. Um, And so whether or not you want to do that is probably a difficult decision as a soccer person, but ultimately whether or not this is going to be an opportunity for uh, young Academy players to then grow into becoming professional players. Is this just going to serve as a reserve team for the MLS homegrowns who aren't able to get minutes with the first team? Is this an opportunity for the Rapids to take flyers and other players who maybe wouldn't have gotten an opportunity on a 30-man MLS roster like a Chris Harris. Um, all of those things, I think, are still a little bit in flux, and it's not obvious yet publicly which one of those is going to be the most important in terms of what should you specifically be caring about other than the fact that this team says Colorado Rapids on the shirt. And I look forward to seeing it. I look forward to covering it. I'm sure that there will be something worth uh, considering, but it's just not immediately obvious what that is right now. And it's up to Rapids 2 and maybe them updating their website um, and maybe Brendan writing slightly larger in text or maybe me being there, Mark, and then me tweeting out my actual lineup that I have with formation in Twitter text in order to make the answer to my questions a little bit more obvious. Mark, anything else Rapids 2 related or do we want to talk Hailstorm? Let's go on.
So, um, uh, Mark, I was at the Hailstorm. I was at the Friday night friendly that they had against Peak 11, uh, a very relevant club in terms of the Harpos FC Denvers of the front range. They were purple kits, Mark, which I think is fantastic and super fun. Hailstorm were able to win that game 4-1 was the final score. Uh, they're out and still in the ma- in construction of their main big stadium, folks. Um, there's been some issues with steel and roofing and other things associated with COVID where that's not going to be open for the actual home opener. So they'll be at the collegiate field at the Legends Complex that they have up there in Windsor. Uh, Mark, I did get a little bit of details. Um, I have seen the Hailstorm's new kit that they'll be releasing. Um, I have been sworn to secrecy, folks, but as someone who is a kit fashion snob i like it primary couples color is a little simple they've got some details on there that is kind of uh unique that we see a lot in lower division soccer in this country it is in line with the kind of branding and theme that they've gone with with their marketing stuff with the crest and everything that i think will make the jersey distinguishable and unique and fun um and mark i have seen they do have a shirt sponsor i have seen the shirt sponsor and i'll simply say going back to our conversation from a couple weeks ago about does the shirt sponsor actually work fashion wise with the kit or is it just the chevy logo the chevron just smeared all over the manchester united red shirt it is not like that. The sponsor that they have um, and the um, and the uh, graphic printing that they have works with the rest of the kit in terms of the way that it looks. And the kit sponsor is something that will be very familiar and I think well-liked by people who live in the state of Colorado and are over the age of 21. Uh, let me check, Mark. I believe it's April 1st, but I can't remember. I think it's a Friday and it's up in Fort Collins that they're actually having the Jersey reveal. And then Hailstorm will be on the road for their first game as well. But Mark, they've got a couple, um, they've got a couple exciting players. Uh, they've got a lot of international flair, which I think is interesting. Only one Colorado native as of right now, officially on the roster, but Mark with Hailstorm coming into the league, this now fits it out to where we have the entire U S soccer pyramid, um, in the front range, I guess we need a any. I guess we need a NISA team in Fort Collins? Question mark. But I mean, other than that, we have the Rapids who are in MLS. We have a USL Championship team in the Switchbacks. We've got League One in Hailstorm. We've got League Two in uh, Colorado Rush, and then we also have MLS Two, uh, MLS Next Pro in the form of Colorado Rapids Two. Mark, how excited are we that professional soccer is coming to the Northern Front Range of this, and just to have another club to care about and pay attention to in terms of the Colorado soccer ecosystem? Yeah, it's good. Uh, I mean, league league doesn't mean as much as consistency and staying kind of. Um, uh, alive for several years. Um, the ability to like have longevity is really the most important thing in a soccer team at the lower leagues level. Um, we've all seen teams that have kind of come and go within five to seven years and it's not really healthy. We've seen leagues that folded, you know, in roughly that amount of time. So I, I think hailstorm have everything like going for them in terms of a good location in a unique market with a strong brand, uh, a good team, a kit sponsor, some nice color schemes, you know, it, it feels like that all the pieces are moving in the right direction. In addition to the fact that the entire front range is just a great place to move to, um, and that Northern Colorado is is just a great a great place to be. So the Fort Collins Greeley area, um, I I have 
I, I can't tell you how many people I've heard uh, from who said like, oh, this is one of the best places to live. Oh, we're so glad we moved here, you know, and to have like potential high level soccer in that community is going to be really, really great. So um, kudos to them. Really great work. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope that that kind of like progresses to a point where it, it really feels like a, a, a pro, you know, top level uh, sporting event experience for everybody who attends. Yeah, well said. I should point out, Mark, also that uh, Northern Colorado Hailstorms, their kit will be a Puma kit, so that'll be fun in terms of the technology. Personally, I'm a Adidas guy, but I have kits of, you know, I've got uh, all of the, the big players um, on that. Um, so the uh, final thing that I did want to say, folks, is I'm working to try and get a relevant guest for Hailstorm, hopefully this recording this week, probably releasing next week um, ahead of the uh, Jersey uh, kit release party. So look out for that. That should be interesting and that should give you more information on what's going on with the club. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe all of USL League One is on ESPN Plus this year. I think so. So I, I think it, it's an, it's possible that some of those matches won't don't don't make it on, but generally they are. Yeah. Yes, generally they are. And then of course, folks. I mean, it's a it's a bit of a drive for me, but I suppose if you're in the Superior, Longmont, I know there's rapid season ticket holders in Fort Collins and Louisville and everything that's a, a much easier drive and then certainly for uh mark for our, our good buddies like richard terry with his roots down in greeley colorado that's not a bad drive at all so certainly in the same way that i think it's worth it to do at least a, a one road trip down on a saturday that the rapids don't have a home game down to see the switchbacks i think it's worth a 40 minute drive north to see what's going on with hailstorm at least once a year maybe later in the season after they open up the main stadium rather than just the college stand which i think has a i think it's less than three thousand is the total capacity that that'll have and it'll be um five or six i think for the full facility at the legends complex anything else lower division um mls pro that we want to talk mark or shall we begrudgingly discuss the colorado rapids disappointing two points dropped against the houston dynamo yeah let's let's move on to the to the heartbreaking news of the day uh, so, listeners, this past Saturday at BBVA Compass Stadium, the Colorado Rapids played to a 1-1 draw against Houston Dynamo. Only significant lineup notes that we have from this. Danny Wilson was back in, having missed the match against Sporting Kansas City. And even though Lucas Estevez was not listed on the injury report midweek for the Rapids, he was held out from this game as well. A little bit of insight on that, folks. That's usually required to be submitted to the league Wednesday or Thursday. And so at that point, if they're not sure of the player's specific designation, sometimes they don't include the player at all. So this is just an MLS and soccer in general is very general about the injury designations they have. It's pretty much out, questionable, and then that's it. And so if you're not questionable, you're good to go. So this is less comprehensive than, say, a gridiron football injury list that you have where you have out doubtful questionable probable etc and so all that means is similar to how Danny Wilson wasn't on the injury list for the sporting Kansas City game that means that he was possibly closer to playing than being questionable but ultimately was held out that's maybe an indication that Lucas Estevez was closer to being available even though he wasn't in the team squad and that could be an indication with a full two weeks rest and everything I would be 
I'm very, very confident at this point that he will probably be back for the Rocky Mountain Cup. But in any case, uh, Stephen Betasher in on the left for Estevez and Keegan Rosenberry was on the right. And Mark, it was a relatively good half for the Colorado Rapids. 11 minutes in, you had that great... Uh, ball on a rope from Keegan Rosenberry to Jonathan Lewis at the uh, side of the box who then cut inside and then shot great save from Steve Clark. Similar situation with Michael Barrios with a nice little spin move at the top of the box on the 25th minute. Nice reaction save from Steve Clark. The Pids get on the board in the 42nd minute. A set piece, Jack Price to Danny Wilson, who has been officially credited with an assist. He prevents Steve Clark from punching the ball out and Mark Anthony Kay is there for a relatively easy tap-in. A little bit of back and forth play for me, Mark. I think both teams certainly going for it from the run of play in the first half. I think it's worth noting Darwin Quintero was mainly a distributor in the first half, trying to find Sebastian Ferreira, who had a snake-bitten night, to say the least. And in the second half, especially after Ferreira was subbed off, basically just went straight into shooting. And I think he was more effective, even though he was played at the number 10 role, at trying to score on goal rather than trying to set up other players around him who didn't do a whole lot with their chances. One of those best chances would have come four minutes into the second half with Ferreira floating on the back shoulder of Danny Wilson for an open header that he puts over the bar. Ulfarsen, who the Houston broadcast team was calling Thor, which is an abbreviation for his first name, I believe, uh, had a great opportunity in the 67th minute, but nice save from William Yarbrough. And overall, Mark, as the second half kind of weighed on, uh, Houston just got um, their intensity just leveled up and the Rapids weren't really able to match that, even with some of the substitutions that they had and by the 75th minute I was like okay they're basically parking the bus this is full on siege mentality let's play not to lose or play not to give up the lead and ultimately they would give up the lead um, in the 90th minute Tyler Pasher from Memo Rodriguez on a poor goal kick from Will Yarbrough that just goes straight to Memo Rodriguez he chests it down and then Pasher goes in on goal Yarbrough off his line and Pasher's able to slip it by him and roll it into the net and the only real opportunity that you had Mark at the end of it would have been the second minute of stoppage time when Brian Acosta had a great opportunity that he puts wide Diego Rubio gets on the end of that. Mark Anthony K gets on the end of that. Jonathan Lewis gets on the end of that. Maybe we're having a hashtag keep fighting conversation, but this was a tale of two halves. And for me, Mark, a tale of gradual change and just the Rapids didn't adjust to it. And that's an indication that we're still in early season, that the Houston Dynamo have a lot of resilience and that the Rapids have some things to work on. Rabbi, let's start with good things. Uh, the first half was great. I mean, I really thought the Colorado Rapids played great in the first half and that should be commended to them. Um, they just, it was a very fluid game in the first half. A lot of really exciting end to end action. Colorado did a nice job of creating through the midfield and, and linking up passes, making long, long, accurate passes. The first touch of the team in the first like 25 minutes was exceptional. There were just a lot of moments where a guy strung a deep, deep pass. It got to the end of somebody's foot and they just made the right touch. Um, except, you know, those final like moments in the, in the final third. But, you know, I just thought the team looked sharper in this match than they had in other matches. Even the games that they won, um, they, they had long stretches in the first half where they just really looked like a very strong team. Uh, so I, I felt very good about the overall performance, even if the end product wasn't always there. What do you think, Matt? Uh, I, I liked what we saw again from set pieces. I think this is the third straight and maybe just the second uh, straight game with a set piece goal. Mark Anthony K with another goal. 
Jack Price with another assist mark that puts him uh, joint second all time in club history for regular season assists alongside the venerable Terry Cook. I imagine Jack Price will be smashing that record come season's end and be the all time Colorado Rapids assist leader in the regular season. So it was good from them. I thought the play overall was decent from the run of play, but the finishing was kind of missing. It's kind of, I think it's a little bit harsh to say, to go return to that narrative of, oh, the Rapids didn't have a DP striker. They weren't able to finish. Diego Rubio had opportunities to shoot. Houston did a really good job of swarming him and focusing it on him. Uh, Steve Clark makes a great save that I think would have been an outside, outside the conversation, but maybe a dark horse for save of the week on Jonathan Lewis. And then I think if Barrios maybe takes another second to kind of cue up the angle he has, maybe then rather than shooting to the short side for Steve Clark, he puts that to the right side of the goal. And then maybe we're having a different conversation. So that's positive for me. If we talk about the last three games being a better indication that this team can create chances, can finish their chances and their front three that's now becoming more cemented can create chances of their own and can do things with the opportunities and service that they get from other players further upfield. Keegan Rosenberry with what would have been an assist to Jonathan Lewis, Abubakar with the pass to Michael Barrios. Uh, didn't really see Diego Rubio get super dangerous, but I thought he did a lot to really harass and harangue the <laughs> midfielders and the center backs for um, the Houston Dynamo. Several emergency uh, defending uh, actions that you had to see from Daniel Sayers, who I thought had a really good game. Mark, so Diego Rubio made a pest of himself. It wasn't necessarily in an on-goal sort of way. Uh, I thought overall the emergency defending from the Rapids was excellent. Abubakar Wilson was Johnny on the spot so many times. Austin Trust the, the time in which they had to make a decision and making that decision and executing immediately in emergency defending was excellent. That being said, I think that's just a further indication that maybe the that just the Rapids weren't set up to prevent fires as well as they could have been. But they, they adjusted and they kind of hung in there for the most part. And I was nervous in the 75th minute. And then I was just like, just find a way to hold on no matter what it was. And ultimately, it was going to come down to were they going to make a mistake that was going to make it too easy for Houston? And ultimately, it was a self-inflicted wound. And even though I think, you know, criticizing the goalkeeper on goal kicks is maybe different from criticizing the team on a whole in terms of their passing going forward, but just the sharpness on the ball still wasn't fully there in a way that was disappointing and also wasn't as good as the second half, which just shows that intensity can get you a lot of results and Houston had it and Colorado didn't. I kind of have gone over my bad things, Mark. Um, any bad things that you'd like to highlight? I mean, the bad thing was the goal that was conceded in the 90th minute, which um, I think a lot of people jumped on um, uh, William Yarbrough for having a low screamer of a goal kick that like didn't get far enough out wound up in the middle of the field um, and was easily kind of passed forward to Tyler Pasher who finished it, you know, past the goalkeeper without too much trouble. And so um, Yarborough also Yarborough came way out of the box in order to try and stop that and didn't stop it. So he made at least two errors on that play. Um, but you have to ask questions of the back line there, too. They were in a weird position. Um, it looked like uh, Austin Trusty had moved up to try and field that ball midfield, um, and there was nobody defensively behind him. So 
basically there were like one and a half defenders in a position to defend that play um, after the ball was turned over. I don't know how that happens. I mean, I don't know what the assignments are on a goal kick, but that probably shouldn't be where they were supposed to be. Um, if Trusty, if Trusty's supposed to be, or if Abubakar is supposed to be, like at the center circle trying to field a high, hard kick from Yarborough, then somebody's supposed to be behind him, right? The the fullbacks are supposed to be pinched in to kind of defend, especially when you're leading one to nothing. So I, I just really question that. And I also want to say that, like, I think that we should ask questions about the fact that the guys on the field at the time were all of our kind of like post 75 minute subs, right? So it's Brian Acosta, it's Andre Shinyashiki, it's Colin Warner, it's Max Alves. And those guys have been coming on late on the regular and they've been, you know, fine or, or good, but here they came on and the big error came on. Like you and I, Matt, have talked in the past about the concept in hockey of the plus, the plus minus score and how it, it's actually FB ref actually does a stat like this in their, in their workup of saying like, all right, when you're on the field, does your team score more goals than it concedes or does it concede more goals than it scores? And right now we have to ask questions of the entire Rapids midfield for that position. I don't want to, I don't want to blame them for a mistake that probably starts with Yarborough, but um, you know, to be honest, like the whole second half wasn't as good as the first half of the Rapids. They just looked kind of ponderous and unsure and um, they, they really struggled to develop flow. And that was kind of on everybody. I guess the last bad thing that I'll throw out there is Jonathan Lewis is still really kind of like clunky, you know, and in this game, I think he had a lot of turnovers. I think his, passing percentage was like 56% or that might've been Rubio. I have to look at it again, but um, you know, I was saying for a while, like we got to give him a break. We got to give him a break, but like, you know, Lewis has been a little bit clunky and maybe we, maybe he is what he is, which is a straight line runner who kind of lacks a warm first touch and an incisive passing foot. And that's going to condemn him to a pretty short-lived and ignominious career in professional soccer, if that's where he's at. Now, he's got more than plenty of time to make up for that, but um, this game was clunky and disappointing. A uh, quick fact check for you, Mark. Lewis had a 88.2% uh, passing wrong. accuracy, but uh, it was Diego Rubio. He was at 53.9, so yeah. maybe who that's who you were thinking of. Yeah, but I just thought I just thought Lewis wasn't like he wasn't spectacular in this one. Even even if his passing numbers were pretty good, his uh, his overall contribution, his scoring numbers, and if you look at his uh, his 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 kind of like shooting percentages and and his expected goals, um, that's not particularly great right now. So yeah, point point taken. And then I guess the the point that Diego Rubio had the lowest passing percentage of the team highlights the point I was making earlier where Rubio was really good without the ball as a defensive striker, but ultimately wasn't effective in the final third. 
I want to talk about William Yarbrough, Mark, and there's some conflicting stats out there. MLSsoccer.com, their box score has his passing accuracy at 77.8, which isn't decent for a goalkeeper. But then if we look at Fatma, for example, um, they have him at 16 out of 27, which is a 59% accuracy rate, which is bad for a goalkeeper, especially for a team that's comfortable playing out of the back where a lot of those passes are simply pass it. 15 yards forward to Danny Wilson and there's nobody around you and there's nobody around Danny Wilson. And then if we look at long balls, he was four of 15, which was 27%. And he did have two turnovers in the first half off of goal kicks and off of playing out of the back in the game against Sporting Kansas City. This is starting to become for me a worrying trend. How much of that is maybe, uh, Robin Frazier trying to experiment with something and seeing whether or not it works or letting the mistakes sort themselves out to where then they become good at this. How much of that is they've had so much variability in the midfield because Kay and Acosta came in late into the uh, into the preseason maxes early, and so then the midfield personnel isn't settled, so then the midfield shape isn't settled, which makes kicking it long and trying to win a second ball or having a, not a set play, I would think of it more of like a pattern of play in the midfield off of a goal kick isn't fully established. And also, a lot of these kicks have been to the right side, where normally that's Keegan Rosenberry pushed up. Is there something, is there some miscommunication, to your point, about on the goal itself, on the goal kick of the defense, Defensive shape being a little bit off and was the ball misplaced was somebody not reacting to it or was the ball supposed to go out wide to Keegan Rosenberry and then the team plays forward and I think it's worth pointing out that <clears throat> that the two games in which they've had trouble in the final 30 minutes at times against Sporting Kansas City and in this game happened without Lucas Estevez who remains their most effective let's get it from our final third to their final third which is two to three passes and is maybe one of the main outlets um, either for Will Yarbrough or for the person Will Yarbrough sends the ball to isn't there to then play into space make it relatively easy uh, allow them to go through the motion and then rather than being on their back heels having turned the ball over are playing into the final third and putting pressure on the opponent something that I'm thinking about big picture um, I guess this is a big thing and not really a bad thing but you know I'd like to see that improve and they're going to have two weeks of training in order to get that sorted out Um, we cannot see that same turnover against uh, those turnovers against Real Salt Lake and hopefully the team's better at it hopefully whatever William Yarbrough is doing he's either doing it better or doing things that are safer that put the team in a better position to play out of the back and also be defensively sound and Hopefully, um, uh, Lucas Estevez is back and whatever role he has in making that, all of that happen and be better, um, is able to take place if he's uh, fully available for training this week and next week. Mark, anything else Houston, Colorado we want to discuss or shall we turn forward to trade rumors and Giassi's artists? I think it's okay to, to kind of let this one go um, in the sense that like it was an away game. It was a point. I think we all get wound up over the fact that like it's points dropped. You know, I think, you know, we talked before we started about like the Rapids dropping two points, which is kind of a standard way of looking at a game where you were in control. But like it was a very close game. Both teams kind of deserved it um, at it, it, in long stretches. And um, you just at the end of the season, you want your ledger to be that you you won more of these games or you drew more of these games than you lost a lot of these games, right? Because you're you're the famous phrase in baseball is, um, or at least in the old days it used to be, you're gonna win fifty four games 
or is it 56? You're going to win 54 games. You're going to lose 54 games. It's what you do with the middle 54 that matters. In soccer, it's kind of the same about 10 and 10 and 10, right? Like, uh, this is one of those 10 games, right? Like, one of those middle 10 games. Um, you want to you wanna win more of these than you lose. So we're, we're going to drop a few every once in a while, but try not to lose too many. I put out a poll on the HTHL uh, Twitter account mark asking this very question asking rapids twitter was this two points dropped yes no is it too early in the season i don't know 78 76.5 percent said yes it was two points dropped so uh mark i'm gonna uh, uh i'm gonna pull something from the indicator and say the indicator of the week that we have here on hdhl is 86.5 percent hopefully william yarbrough's passing accuracy in the rocky mountain cup can be 86.5 percent or higher. We'll move on, folks, to the final topic that we have for tonight's show, and that is discussing potential trade rumors. We forgot to mention it last week. I was curious to see whether or not it was going to have some steam, and given what's happened with this player over the weekend, I think we can certainly pump the brakes on this. But, Mark, uh, rumblings out of Columbus that uh, the Columbus crew are open to trading Jossie's artist, not necessarily actively shopping him or putting him on the trade block, but that they're open to taking calls on him. Um, he had a guaranteed compensation of $1.4 million last year. I would assume it's be relatively close to that number. He is a designated player right now for Columbus crew. So I imagine if they were able to get him off their books, that would open up a DP slot for them to do maybe not something this window, but certainly in the summer, if that's something they wanted, uh, Miguel Barry has been, uh, much praised by head coach Caleb Porter. Uh, and then he got three, uh, Barry has started all three games to start for Columbus. Barry was not great on the weekend at New York Red Bulls. And then Giossi Zardes came on and made a fantastic run to ultimately set up the play in transition to allow Columbus to score in uh, stoppage time uh, for Darlington Nagby scoring that goal to get a 1-1 draw. So maybe that's an indication that Giossi Zardes can be a super sub, does have value, is a good person for the team, isn't going to be a locker room issue at all. Mark, I'd imagine the bare minimum, if if, if Pork Smith in theory calls Tim Bezbachenko and Caleb Porter and says a million dollars in gam. I think he's getting immediately hung up on the phone. I would imagine it is well, I'd imagine 1.5 might be the let's start the conversation and see what other assets you want in that. I think it's a fair question then. Do the Rapids want to give up that much of their gam flexibility given that uh, the Lucas Estevez loan with an option to buy is expiring this summer and they would need funds in order to retain him for the whole season. And I think there's still a valid question whether or not they'll be Shopping for a center back with Austin Trusty's departure as well. Uh, Mark, is Giassi's artist a viable option at striker for the Colorado Rapids? Is he the answer to a regular goal scorer who can go through the choreography and the dance moves, but put the ball in the back of the net in ways that Diego Rubio can't always do so consistently? And given the financial implications of the salary and what Columbus would want, is this a smart, would this be a smart decision for the Rapids to pursue him? I think so. This is our episode that may or may not be entitled based on what Matt, or, Matt decides at the end. The great Jossie Zardes debate. We can call it whatever we want, though. Um, I think Jossie Zardes has a good uh, has a good feet. He draws defenders in the kind of way that Don Baji did, in that he's a very physical post up kind of guy. He's very good with his head in the air, um, back to goal, hold up play. 
He's good at breaking on goal. I think he's a very complete player. Uh, and, and I think he's still got, you know, 10, 12 goals left in him, which I don't think uh, I would expect from Diego Rubio. Um, I think he's got more versatility and, and ability to do things. I don't really worry about price, Matt. Um, I think the Rapids have gam to spend. I think they have players that they can kind of deal with um, if they if they want to deal. Um, and I think that they have money under the cap, you know, three DP spots to to play with. So I think bring in Jossie Zardes, and even if he doesn't work, it's still a pretty good play. I mean, earlier this season, another MLS team went out and got Kai Kamara, who the Rapids, you know, certainly could have had if they wanted to. Although I think the issue with the Rapids was probably more about locker room presence than it is about contribution to the team. I think um, Kai Kamara's history in Major League Soccer is he wears out his welcome in a locker room after one and a half seasons and nobody really wants to deal with him anymore. Um, and I don't know what that is. That's just a, a, some speculation based on some insider information that folks have passed along to me. So, um, but I don't get, you know, you don't get that at all from Jossie. I mean, Jossie's reputation is that he's been a, you know, a regular contributor. I mean, to the, to the fact that you met, you and I both remember when, he was on the outs with LA Galaxy and they 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 put him at right back, you know. I think that was under Kurt Adolfo, if I'm not mistaken. Um Siggy Schmidt. Oh, it was under Siggy Schmidt. Siggy Schmidt couldn't get anything out of him and had him at right back. And he still kinda like he still played along. I mean, like, that's a that's a team player. He didn't pout, he didn't get you know, he didn't he didn't sit on the bench. Um you know, I like that attitude. So that's my take. Matt, what do you think? I think it's the I think it's the most seamless fit for um Jossie. If you're talking about um oh, you know if you're, ta- agree. if you're talking about Jossie wants out at Columbus, where's another MLS team where I am a square peg and they have a square hole that needs to be fit? I think that's the most seamless transition for it. Um he presses okay, not great for his age, which is obviously something that Robin Fraser values and why Diego Rubio has gotten such a long run that he has, but it's, you know, it's proven at this point, if he's healthy and he's playing 90 minutes, you get him the ball, he will score you 10 to 15 goals easily in MLS. Um, I think where I have the questions is how much is Columbus willing to, uh, how much is, would Columbus want in order to part for him, given that they're not actively trying to get out from under that contract? This isn't like Ola Kamara, like, like DC, they are actively trying to finance that divorce, um, at, you know, in, uh, in, in DC United and, Ola Kamara's case. I don't know that this is necessarily like a breakup that they want to happen. And I think as we saw from GLC on the weekend, he still has a role to play and there's going to be open competition there. Culturally, he fits in perfectly. He is a team player. He has almost no ego and everything. And look, he was willing to play outside back for a team because the coach, uh, you know, wanted him to do that. I remember that there was a quote, Mark, I, I got from Danny Wilson a couple 
years ago here where he was kind of asked I asked him about playing holding midfielder for that one uh, couple of months where he was there and he said you know I'm just trying to help the team win anything I can do to make the team better and be on the field playing regularly I'm willing to do so you know if the manager asked me to play in goal I would find goalie you know he would go out and search for goalkeeper gloves because he doesn't have any and I think Jossie's artist is the same level of mentality in that regard he is the opposite to Josie Altidore who was the off-season um uh, you know, apple of the eye of Rapids Twitter in many regards, where my main holdup is I, I'm not sure the Rapids at this point have the financial might to pay $1.4 million in a transfer fee. If we're believing that the Rapids have three-ish and change million dollars in GAM, do you want to part with probably half of that? maybe a little bit more. And then do you want to commit to, you know, the there's only a certain amount that you can subvert the DP salary guaranteed dollars above the max budget chart. So basically they, they can't use TAM on that. I guess they could use TAM on that. They can't only use a certain amount of GAM. I think it's 150 or maybe 200K. And so if they don't do that, then it's uh, in order to acquire this player, Porrick Smith has to go to the overlords at KSC and say, hey, can we have this money? We can't physically use the mechanisms within the league in order to pay for this player. You have to pay for this out of pocket one way or the other. I'm increasingly doubtful that the financial might and support from ownership is there. And then just furthermore, do you want to spend, you know, do you want to spend half of or potentially more of your gam? Do you want to use up all of the whatever goodwill and political capital and literal capital, pun intended, with ownership in terms of the spending that they do have? Or do you want to save that money to ensure that Lucas Estevez is with the Rapids long term after his loan expired? And do you want to still be able to go shopping for distressed assets, center back or otherwise in the summer? I think that's the calculus that's going into it. And at the end of the day, I still think that Robin Frazier believes in Jonathan Lewis, Diego Rubio, and Michael Barrios, and then those three together can get you 20 goals. And between that and maybe five to seven from the center backs on set pieces, that is enough for them to be okay come May 5th when the primary window closes. So I'd still like it. I'd be okay with it if the Rapids were going for it, provided that they're not paying um, the max price that Columbus wants for it. But I still think the most prudent long-term answer for the club is to maintain financial flexibility for the summer. And they can reevaluate if, you know, Miguel Barry has 12 goals and Giassi Zardes hasn't seen the field in two months come July. Anything else, Rabbi? Shall we get out of here? Let me tell you, Matt, I got one more thing to say to you. And that is that... Roughneck Scarves features the widest selection of soccer scarves and other custom scarves for sale. We are the officially licensed supplier of soccer scarves for the MLS. Wait, the MLS? I can't believe that says it right on the website. U.S. Soccer, NHL, NCAA, and many other leagues. Our soccer scarves are available in many different styles and are made with the highest quality. Take a look at our various styles on our website. Have a custom scarf design in mind? Let us know and we'll design it for you roughneckscarves.com our other sponsor of course is Icarus FC I'll read off of their website next week Matt tell them how to hit us on the socials and how to contact us via email or send us large quantities of money through legitimate not at all problematic potentially non-taxable sources uh, first of all Mark I forgot to ask you for uh, predictions USMNT ah. do they qualify and if so uh, how many games does it take we're going to qualify. I think we'll probably not need to worry about the Costa Rica game, but 
I don't really feel confident in any of the words I just said that came out of my face hole. I think the U.S. qualifies. I think Canada gets a result against Costa Rica, and I think the United States beats Panama in Orlando and qualifies that night as a result. Listeners, follow us individually on Twitter at soccer underscore rabbi and at LWS Matt Pollard. Check out the podcast on the Twitter machine at Rapids 96 Podcast. Um, send us your questions using the hashtag AskHTHL or get us at email, rapids96podcast at gmail.com. Read our written content at Pittsburgh Soccer Now, last word on sports.com backslash soccer, and our substack, holdingthehighline.substack.com. You can also become a paid highliner there, five bucks a month or 42 bucks for the year or if we bring further monetary value to your life you can become a patron at our patreon patreon.com backslash rapids 96 podcast or check out some really good uh digital sports work from the denver post at denverpost.com backslash hthl listeners we'll see you next week to hopefully talk about the united states qualifying for the world cup and preview rocky mountain cup lake one That was terrible. (laughs) Worse than the rapid second half. Sheesh.